The Haftairon, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, is a reading from the beginning of the book of Samuel of Shmuel that tells us of Hannah, wife of Elkanah, who at first was infertile and barren, and then through her prayer that she prayed as she stood before the tabernacle in Shiloh, was blessed with a son who would become Shmuel, a prophet in Israel. The intention of the Haftarah on a festival, and indeed regularly, is just as the Torah reading itself, a lesson for a Jew in one's divine service for the relevant festival or Shabbos. So too here, though the reason we read this Haftarah on Rosh Hashanah is because it was on Rosh Hashanah that God remembered Hannah for the blessing of children, there are also several lessons relevant to a Jew's divine service on Rosh Hashanah contained in the Haftarah, and in fact, lessons relevant to our daily lives too. Hannah's personal service and the essential point of the Haftarah that resulted in being blessed with a child was her prayer in Shiloh, which tells us that the essential lesson from the Haftarah about, is about our personal service on Rosh Hashanah, and it is in Hannah's prayer, particularly as the Shalom HaKadosh, the Holy Shalom, teaches that in fact, it was actually Rosh Hashanah when Hannah prayed this prayer in Shiloh. To further understand this service on a personal level, and in regards to our service on Rosh Hashanah, Let's look more closely at the events as they unfolded when Hannah prayed and was observed by Eli, the high priest. Eli sees Hannah's unusual prayer, lips moving but in silent prayer, and determines that she is drunk. He proceeds to observe her and then tell her off, saying, Admasai tishtakrin, how long will you stand here drunkenly? Hannah responds to Eli and says, Loyadini, know my master. I am not drunk, but Hashem. I am a woman in great anguish, and I am pouring my soul out to God. Some questions immediately come to mind. Primary among them, how could Eli, the leader of our people at the time, high priest, confuse Hannah's earnest, soulful prayer for drunkenness. Even if we were to find a good reason for this mistake on Eli's part, it's still confusing why the Torah tells us of his error altogether. We know that the language of Torah is so particular so as not to speak in negative terms, even regarding impure animals. Certainly the Torah is careful with speaking of Eli the Kayan. As well, if indeed Eli suspected Hannah of being drunk, why did he wait to admonish her only when she had concluded her prayer? Rashi explains these words, Eli shomer es piha, Eli guarded her mouth to mean he waited until she was done. Drunkenness at the tabernacle was not okay even for a minute. Why wait? These obvious questions provide proof that, in fact, Ailey did not think her drunk and intoxicated by drink. He accused her of intoxication in prayer. She prayed so unusually long, 
in a manner that was not desirable, as the Talmud teaches us in the Tractate of Brachas, that a too lengthy prayer with the expectation of a prayer being answered is not a good thing versus a lengthy prayer with no expectation. To which Hannah responded, I'm pouring my soul out to God. When lengthy prayer is about an outpouring of the soul, it is not intoxication in prayer, it is rather a very lofty expression of prayer. Which is the connection between Hannah's prayer and Rosh Hashanah? Eli's accusation and Hannah's response about the manner of prayer in the tabernacle helps us understand her prayer and the intention of several of our Rosh Hashanah prayers. There seem to be two contrasting themes in the Rosh Hashanah prayers. Rosh Hashanah is a day of determination for all of man's needs, both spiritual in nature and physical in nature. The verse in Tehillim in chapter 81, Pei Aleph, that reads, Ki mishpat It is a law for Israel, a ruling for the God of Jacob, is understood to mean chayk, is a statute, and references God's judgment and determination of our needs as we read in Mishlei, in Proverbs, Hatrifeni lechem chuki, provide me with my daily bread, a reference to God's provisions of man's physical needs. And Mishpat Lodeke Yaakov, a ruling for the God of Jacob, refers to our spiritual needs, a determination of how much divine revelation each soul will experience. This is why on Rosh Hashanah we ask for our personal needs of children, life and sustenance, and also for success in our spiritual quests and needs. On the other hand, and this is where the seeming contrast exists, the essential prayers and central theme of Rosh Hashanah is to crown God as king. Our sages in the Talmud express it with the words, Shetamlichuni Aleichem, so that you will make me a king over you. And indeed, so we pray on Rosh Hashanah with the words, Reign over the entire world with your glory. And Sovereign over the entire earth. This prayer request requires the ultimate of humility, the ability to submit absolutely, totally, and completely to the dominion of the king, feeling nothing of self and nothing of our desires or needs. And it's this submission and humility which, in response, causes the king to accept the coronation. These two ideas of praying for our needs and submitting fully to God with no thoughts to our needs seem completely contradictory. At that level of humility and submission before the king, one can't even think of, let alone ask for, one's own needs. This is so for one's spiritual requests or needs and desires, certainly regarding material requests, which are being determined on Rosh Hashanah, as is explained in the Halacha commentary on the works of the Rambam prepared 
by Reb Meir Hakon in the 13th century. In fact, in Tikkunei Zohar, the holy days are not a time for the requests, and a Jew who requests his physical needs on this day is likened to a barking dog who says, give, give, who thinks only of themselves and not of the Shechina, not of God. But on the flip side of this, the request for man's physical needs are literally incorporated into our prayers by our sages who explain that this is an optimum time for one's requests to be fulfilled, which means that these requests are not only uttered because God has said, ask for your needs on Rosh Hashanah, we ask not only because it's a divine instruction to do so, but we do so in a way where we really experience the emotion of lack and the emotion of need. In other words, on one hand, one must want and have the intention in the designated parts of prayer that God grant him physical needs, which means that in those moments, awareness of self is absolutely necessary. It's how we know what we are lacking. And alongside this reality, one must be completely absorbed by the experience of coronating God as our king in a complete state of nullification and negation of the self. Practically, we could ask a similar question regarding prayer in general throughout the year. In the Amidah prayer, one stands as before a king, which means that not a sign of self-awareness can be exhibited, and the halacha mandates that we stand with feet together and do not move. To the extent that a gesture in front of the king, says the Gemara in the tractate of Hagiga, may be punishable with loss of life. And yet right there in the Amidah prayer, our sages established a liturgy of prayers for personal needs. Understandably, though, there's a big difference between our prayers on Rosh Hashanah and our daily prayers. All year, following onto our coronation of God as king, God is like a practicing monarch, dealing with the daily issues of his dominion, within which arise the physical needs of the people over whom he rules, who depend on his benevolence and assistance. And only when one stands proper in the presence of the king, it must be apparent that there is no selfhood and that all is under his dominion. But Rosh Hashanah is a time when we have not yet coronated our king, and his glory is yet beyond the duties of kingship. The self-abnegation required of us here is deeper yet, when nothing but nothing other than the king himself exists in our consciousness. So how is this a time to ask for our personal needs? The answer lies in intention of the request. One does not at this time ask so that one will have physical abundance or even spiritual abundance, but rather as part and parcel of the service of crowning God as our king to reign over us. So that the Maloich al Kolaoilam Kula that the world in its entirety reflects God's sovereignty. The physical too must reflect this and be seen as a machin l'shifta yisparach, an abode for God. 
Every Jew has sparks of holiness, which are uniquely about his journey and divine service in this world, and which he uniquely will illuminate and refine. These are enclosed in the garments of his God-given physical reality, and therefore he begs of God to send whatever is needed so that his portion of crown me as king over you can be completely carried out and fulfilled. Which means that even in asking for one's personal needs on Rosh Hashanah, there is no self absorbed in the requests. They are only a means to serve as God wants him to serve and to fulfill God's desire. And it's really only because of the total abnegation of self in the experience of coronating God that one can be in this state of request. To ask only to elevate the sparks associated with God's essential desire for a dwelling below. It is a request from the very essence of one's soul. The essence of a person's soul is disconnected from the physical needs or desires of a person. The soul at essence remains bonded to and embraced within God in a state of complete oneness. So understandably, requests for one's needs that stem from the desire to fulfill God's will is bound up with the nullified essence of one's soul, the essence that fulfills the task of making God king over us. But here's the challenge. We're talking about real people who have real needs and who are not all at the level we just talked about. And our sages instituted these requests for every Jew who are not all asking for their physical and even spiritual needs from this perspective, but rather because things are really tight and there's a real need for God to grant these things from his full, open, and generous hand. In fact, this is the mitzvah of prayer, as is highlighted in the, in the blessings of prayer. It is this exactly that points to the loftiness of prayer, that changes take place, and that God heals the sick, and that rain actually falls. Granted, if one was requested to not at all consider one's physical needs on Rosh Hashanah in his prayers, but to focus only on crowning God as king over us, accepting God's sovereignty fully, fully with no thought to self, we would have no question. Whereas Rosh Hashanah is the time of Kiruv HaMa'or Lahanitzutz, the light is closest to its spark, and we all have the capacity to be awakened on a personal level to become closer to God, and in that quest, forget one's personal needs and become consumed with a desire to come close to the king. But how can we expect every Jew to hold both realities together, thinking about his or her own personal needs and really wanting for God to fulfill those needs and not from a place of personal need or angst, but just for the sake of God's desire? This can be clarified and understood, understood through the Baal Shem Tov's explanation on the verse in Tehillim, Psalm 107, Kapitel Kuf Zayin, verse 5, that states, Re'evim gam tzmeim nafsham bohem tisatov. 
hungry and thirsty, their spirits failed. The Baal Shem Tov explains this verse to mean that a Jew's physical hunger and thirst comes from a faint spirit, a spirit that seeks to sift through the sparks of holiness in food and drink and redeem those sparks. They are his uniquely to elevate and repair. This means that though a person experiences only the physical sensation of hunger for food, it's actually a hunger of the soul for the holy sparks that belong to him, to his divine service. So too for us on Rosh Hashanah. A Jew's requests on Rosh Hashanah requests with tears for God to grant him his physical and spiritual needs Though he expresses these as an external, literal need of livelihood, shelter, etc., the truth of his desires and the internal need that emerges in the outpouring of his soul in prayer is a hunger to fulfill the ultimate purpose of transforming the physical into a spiritual domain for God. As a matter of fact, the Jew experiences an intensely emotional awakening when he says the Unasanatoikiv prayer, proclaim the holiness of the day, and expresses the awesome words, who shall be at rest and who shall wander, an emotion and a call from the heart more intense even than when he asks God to be king. Meloich over the entire world is proof that his absolute truth, the desire of his absolute truth is to do what God wants of him, to fulfill the ultimate purpose of creation. Even though what the eye sees as a reason for the emotion is as a soul in a body, the physical is in fact closer to his reality and life, and life and death speak louder to him than spiritual consequences, the inner reason for his emotion is the essential divine intention for this world and thus his essential soul desire is moved. And this is why he is so awakened and so emotional it is his inner essential soul that is moved to fulfill the supernal purpose. And we can surely posit that this is why the prayer of Hana is established as part of our divine service on Rosh Hashanah, including what Eli the Kayan said to her, Ad Masai Tishtakrun, until when will you stand there in your drunkenness? Eli's claim to Hannah was that when you stand before God, before the Holy of Holies, that's all that should be on your mind, nothing else, not even a request for a child, and certainly not in a lengthy prayer. She was drunk, Eli was saying, on her own needs, good needs, but her own needs. Her needs were so great that Eli felt she forgot where she was. She lost perspective that she stood before God. To which Hannah responded, I've poured my soul out before God. Not only isn't this drunkenness, forgetting where I am, lost, God forbid, in my own needs, but this is the very essence of standing before God, pouring out one's very soul. 
as we read daily during this time in Perakhov Zion in chapter 27 in Tehillim, Lacha Amar Libi, it's on your behalf that my heart says, Bakshu Fonai, seek my face, and so Esponecha Hashem Avakesh, I do, I seek your face, God. This isn't about my needs, it's about what God wants and being bound up with God's desires. This facilitates our understanding of Hannah's inclusion in her prayer, the promise that if God would bless her with a child, she would bring him to God for all of his life. His life would not be his own, but rather given over completely to God and God's will. Her request wasn't about her need, but because of God's path and journey for her that was resonating in her soul. Hence, every Jew can take a lesson from this in his or her personal prayer and divine service on Rosh Hashanah. It's not sufficient for one's internal voice to be in order. It must be revealed to the outside. And so when a Jew begins to pray on Rosh Hashanah and asks God for his personal needs or even spiritual needs, and that voice of Eli that is within us says, what are you doing thinking of your needs when you're crowning God as king? You must nevertheless ask. Is asking or her asking really highlights Hannah's answer because it's true that every Jew, even one who may be thinking about what he or she needs because they really need this, it is really a gush of emotion from the soul. It's a request of the soul that is bound up and one with God. And just as Hannah's answer cleared away Ailey's accusation to the point that he agreed with her and blessed her and promised her that God would grant a request that she requested of him, so too the Abishter fulfills the requests of every Jew for a good and sweet year, quite simply, with obvious and revealed good, with children, with life, and with sustenance. And all of this in abundance.